Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 131. It's been a minute. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Jen, it has been a minute since I've even seen your face or talked to you. I know, because you had to go be stupid and get the COVID. Oh, I did get COVID. I know, but you're not stupid. It's not your fault. You did everything to try to not get it. I did. did all the right things. I did all the right things. I mean, I did all the things I could, but Except I think this was just- Making out. <laughs> I should not strangers. have made out with all of those strangers who had COVID. <laughs> I know. I think you that's where I went You went to a COVID wrong. swingers party. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. I am vaccinated. <laughs> I wore my mask. <laughs> what was that swingers trailer park um, that we talked about once on this podcast? Oh, yeah. I don't remember the name of it. Did you go on down to <laughs> it was somewhere the largest in Louisiana. swingers <laughs> That's where Trailer we went. Part. It's where we went for uh, for Christmas because yeah. we like to meet up with what we call our family. <laughs> um, yeah, An open mouth kiss. On <laughs> well, how else do you greet your <laughs> nearest and dearest? <laughs> um, yeah, so the whole family caught COVID, and uh, and it was actually, I mean, we it was we were very lucky. It was very mild. Just, you know, just a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a bummer of a Christmas, but um, we made the most of it. How was your holiday? It was good. Yeah, COVID-free. Yeah. COVID-free, <laughs> I'm surprised. Because uh, I made out with a lot of people. <laughs> no, um, I'm just surprised because we have, I have such a huge family. And, yeah. Um, there's just so many cousins and so many, um, like, siblings and their kids and so I was just I was like for sure yeah someone's gonna give it to somebody but um we try to be as careful as possible but luckily um knock on wood or you know part of me wonders did we get it and we just didn't know I know so many people that are like I like you wouldn't have taken a test if Ben hadn't no. tested positive you well, just and really the thought it was a cold yeah the only reason he even tested was because we were at his parents and we were like paranoid about giving it to them, right? So he started yeah. getting, he was like, I just feel like allergies. Like he wasn't sick. He just was like a little stuffy, you know, like just like yeah. any other Christmas, you'd be like, mm, this is just, this is normal. And then, and he, you know, took a test and po tested positive and we like immediately got out of there. <laughs> and then of course they, his, you know, it didn't. Um, it didn't stop it from spreading, but God, uh, yeah, it's wild. It, it's wild. We have no idea where we got it, but oh. um, could have been anywhere. Could have been in any one of those people that we open mouse kissed on our could way. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I hope that you guys had a good holiday season. Um, thanks for letting us take a couple weeks off. It was a good break, even if it was filled with COVID. Um, and now we're back, baby. We're back. 2022. No expectations. <laughs> I like, I don't even want to go back and hear what we may have said about, oh, I'm so glad this year is over last year. <laughs> oh, man. I can't. Even, um, I remember, did I talk about this? Like, oh, on the very first day of 2020, like January 1st, 2020, remember when I broke my toe? Uh -huh. And I was like, well... <laughs> At, At least, least I got, I got it over the with. worst part of 2020 out of the way. It's all smooth sailing from here. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Nope. No resolutions. Nope. No, uh, no hope. <laughs> Faith. <laughs> Expectations, just closing my eyes and free fall and see what see where we land. Oh, uh, that's the best plan. It's the best plan. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get into some quickies. Let's do it. 
Um, okay, I'm starting this week. Do it. Um, and this is an article for the East Idaho News, uh, written by Sophia Paracone. Sally, it's been a while since we've done a weird wedding. Ooh, a weird wedding. I know. When I saw this, I was like, oh man, Sally's gonna do this do this one. But then I was like, oh, but I go first. So Sally can suck it. So suck it, Sally. <laughs> So this is another weird wedding. We love these ones where people marry things like their blanket, mm-hmm. pizza, a ghost pirate. Themselves. Uh, an airplane. <laughs> yeah. Themselves. I love the one where – didn't we just do a holiday recap of somebody marrying themselves? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or repeat, I mean. Um, okay. So this woman is um, – her name is Kitten K. Sarah. And okay. on January 1st – of this year, uh, she decided to marry the color pink. Oh, is this my son? Like, seriously? Oh, really? <laughs> well, just because, I mean, we all know he's a kitten and he oh, loves right. the color and pink. He loves the color pink. That's right. <laughs> well, too bad, but Sarah became the first person to marry a color ever. So Max will have to be the second person <laughs> if he decides to be a kitten that marries a color. But um, she said um, she's actually like, she married a paint swatch, like a giant paint swatch. Yeah. She said, I actually have a giant pink swatch, like a pink paint swatch. So the colors are like my favorite. <laughs> she said, they're all listed and I'll be holding my pink swatch. Apparently she has been wearing the color pink since 1980. Um, and she said that she's had a relationship with the color pink for 40 years. So it's a real Kurt and Goldie Hawn type situation. Yeah. <laughs> They've been together a long time. They're finally tying the knot. Good yeah. for them. And they're finally getting married. Um, but the reason... She she said that the idea to marry the color pink came to her two years ago when um, she said that a kid said to me on a skateboard, wow, you love the color pink, right? And I said, yeah, I love it so much. And he goes, you love it so much? Why don't you marry it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this woman, and, but I love and, this woman. And me too. And then she said, I thought. This kid's on to something. <laughs> so, um, so, but, so, yeah, she decided to marry. <laughs> I actually love the kid on the skateboard. I got to be right? honest with you. <laughs> I oh, love yeah, everybody. You love it. Why don't you marry it? That's like such a. That's like such a, a stop. It's like that kid was at a central casting, right? It's like I okay, know. go. Young punk on the skateboard. <laughs> yeah. I picture like a baseball cap like off to the side, like a skewed. Yeah. You know I mean? like, <laughs> hey, lady. Hey, lady. <laughs> you love the color pink or something? <laughs> um, so anyway. <laughs> um, I'm going to go get though, some Sunny D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Purple stuff. <laughs> Uh, give me a pizza without the pizza. <laughs> I was just talking about, do you guys remember the Apollo? Was this just a New York thing, the Apollo string cheese commercials? Yeah, I do not. We did not have that oh, in Ohio. Damn it. I was try- I was trying to explain it to my kids and they just looked at me like I was crazy. But it was basically like a commercial where the kid was like, hey, give me a pizza. Hold the pizza. Hold the pizza. Hold the tomato <laughs> sauce. Hold the sauce. And then... um. And hold the crust. And then all that's left is the mozzarella cheese and it's in a cheese stick. <laughs> what a like <laughs> What a roundabout way to be like, give me a cheese, Can I have stick? A cheese stick. <laughs> it was the eighties. But please, if anybody remembers this commercial, please text us, email us. Um, <laughs> I gotta know I didn't make it up in my head. But anyway, um, she said that even though this is a crazy thing, obviously, marrying a color, um, the color pink, she said that she encourages everyone to do what they love while they still can. She told um, East Idaho News, have fun with it. Have a ball. You're only here for a little bit of time. Have a blast. And you know what? I agree. I Sarah. do too. Kitten. Um, Kitten, Sarah. <laughs> so they got married at a little white wedding chapel, I guess, in Idaho. And uh, in East Idaho, and she they she asked all of her guests to wear the color pink. I love it, love it too. 
Love every bit of it. <laughs> Not weird at all. Nope. Fun, fun times. Fun, fun times. I <laughs> I did almost do a quickie about someone marrying a thing, and I thought this is what you were going to do, but this was about a guy marrying a robot. Oh, really? Yeah, but then- Like the cult, the movie Her? Uh, yes. Yeah, except okay. like a, yeah, real AI, like, but not like just a voice, like a beep, boop, beep. Oh. <laughs> Sex robot. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I don't know why they go beep, boop, beep, but I I was also doing the hands. They probably do, but it's probably a way sexier, like beep, boop, beep. <laughs> beep. Yeah. Boop. <laughs> Right. Yep. It's gonna be a sex robot. <laughs> oh, oh that was, man, that was we've, amazing. We've been away from each other for too long. Yeah. The- okay. <laughs> okay, but I did. Boop. Okay. Beep boop beep. Ones and zeros everywhere. Um, <laughs> I know that's just computer stuff. I don't know. Um, okay, but this I but then I found Syntax. this. Quickie. <laughs> loading, loading. Control Alt Delete. Oh, sexy robot! You've got a good sexy robot voice. Alex. Do I? I was just thinking yeah. you had a sexy I was robot voice. <laughs> You're pretty convincing. I would have thought that you were a sex robot oh maybe i could be like the voice of the sex robots you could i knew the lady who was the voice of all of the um the you scans at kroger you know our friend val tossy she is the voice of google what did you know that no yep Mm -hmm. dang get that google money val her album just came out her comedy album Definitely check it out. Um, Valerie Tossi. Yes. Very funny. So very funny. Comedian. Also the voice of Google. Man. I'm going to be the voice I of know. Google. Hello, Google. <laughs> See? Beep, boop, beep. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can do – See if you can do that, Val. <laughs> Give her a run for her money. Um, okay. So, but my is – The quickie that I chose instead uh, was from The Lad Bible, which I think we've we've uh used before uh, sure by abby murray so okay. this is um i think this is a person who has is done with online dating and so instead of quitting he went bigger he decided uh this guy named muhammad malik who is a londoner he decided to put up a billboard all in both London and Birmingham. And it's him. He's kind of like laying down. He's got a like a really funny grin on. And it says, save me from an arranged marriage. Aww. And then the his website, which is findmalikawife.com. And so in his, he he like directs everybody to his website. And on the website, he has a video that just says, hi, I'm Malik. You may have seen my face on a billboard somewhere. Um, I'm 29. I live in London. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur and a foodie, and I'm religious. I'm looking for someone who is working on her dean, which is uh, actually like the is the Arabic meaning of religion. So he's like looking for someone who is also religious in the same way. He says, I'm open to any ethnicity, but come from a loud Punjabi family, so the banter has to be 100. Um, and then he has like a place where basically you can fill out a form if you're interested and he just says, he's like, I just haven't found the right girl out girl yet. It's tough out there. I had to get a billboard to be seen. Aww. Yeah. So he's he said, I'm an only child. I look after my mom and dad. If this is a deal breaker, I don't think it'll work out. Um, so he just said, like, he is he's like, I love I'm creative. I love doing the most random absurd things. He said, as long as they're 100 percent halal, of course. And he just said that he thought this was like a funny way to get attention. But he really is looking for a wife. Um, mm-hmm. And he said he's not like against arranged marriages. Really? He said, I think arranged marriages have a place in tradition in many Islamic cultures. In fact, there are many studies that show arranged marriages have many advantages. I just want to try and f- find someone on my own first. He said that that all of like anybody who applies, which he's actually gotten 100 responses so far. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that they are all, yeah. all being vetted by his friends before he even looks at them. So got to get past his friends first. Man, 
That's awesome. Yeah. He's really onto something there. I know. We're just going to start seeing billboards everywhere. Yeah. So what do you th- – I mean, how – would you – apply if you saw something like that i mean i think it's pretty would i apply funny i'm a sucker for anybody who does makes any kind of a joke or does something like yes out of the ordinary or puts themselves out there or does something like really goes for something yeah like that just i'm such a sucker for that so if, if i saw that i and, you know, as long as it was within my age. Or right. Age. <laughs> He's 29. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's a little young for me, but maybe. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I would totally, like, I would find it so endearing. Yeah. I, I just, like, you know. I do, too. I love people for me, go for it. it's just, it. like, exactly. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I, I hope we follow up with him and see. Uh, I know. I hope uh, we do a love story with yeah. Muhammad, like, in, in two years. Hey, Sal. Hey, Jen. Are you ready? I'm going to try to do this as sexy as I can. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> I can't you do just, it. I can't. You just sound sleepy. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, there. Now you're on to something. There you go. Now i something. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Um, would you uh, – are you ready for – a crazy story? Yes. So ready. Okay, great. It's been a while. Let's do this it. This one's pretty crazy. So this story came from an article for Oxygen.com written by Benjamin Smith, an article for uh, Star Beacon written by Mark Todd, uh, written for uh, an article for Fox8.com written by Jack Shea, and an episode of Snapped. <gasps> Snapped. <laughs> Snapped. Snapped classic. Our, cl- uh, yeah, it is classic. Um, actually, it's one of their late. It's like season 30. <laughs> so- Did you know that there's like, we've been doing this for 30 seasons. Oh. Stop killing each other. Stop it. So Daniel Posey was born in 1965 and um, grew up in northeastern Ohio. Is that around where you were? Nope. So- no. No, yeah. I was in south. Western. Okay. You know I don't. <laughs> so Dan and his mom, Colleen, were very, very close. Like he, everybody said that he was a real mama's boy. They just kind of had a special friendship and bond. So he was just like a real sweet kid, loved his mom, but he also was like, he did, you know, regular boy things like he rode dirt bikes and he played the drums and everybody said that he was just like a really nice guy that had a lot of charisma yeah. about him, you know, on Snapped when they show the pictures from the 80s and the hair and stuff. It's just like that perfect mwah, 80s, big, big hair. Okay. I love it. You know, just like there's five different haircuts shown and they all were very big. <laughs> Like everyone was from like you went into like, like the 80s. One was a mullet, one was the 80s, one was had the like, you know, brush back with the bang uh-huh. part down, you know, all that. Yeah. Stuff. All that. Yeah. Um, but when uh, Dan was 21 years old, he met 17-year-old Lisa Guthrie and she was completely enamored by him because he was this cool older guy and, you know, he was a drummer, which is also cool. And so they started dating and after just two years of dating, she became pregnant with their first son. So they quickly got married and he took a job working for his dad at a muffler company. Basically, that was his dad's business and that's what his dad did. So he became a mechanic himself and he was actually really good at yeah. it. But then in 1994, Dan and Lisa ended up opening up um, a tanning salon and it was like one of the first, you know, tanning salons. So it was very successful. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, they ended up having another son, and then they had another daughter. So they had three kids together. Everyone said that he was an amazing dad. His kids always came first. But over the course of a few years, things started to kind of take a toll on their marriage, just stresses. You know, he worked a full-time job as a mechanic, and they were business owners. So he never – he did both. And then – um Things really took a toll on them when one of their boys was actually diagnosed with leukemia. Um, Yeah, there's he ended up being okay and he survived it, but you can imagine as a parent that that is the most stressful time. Yeah, that's when things started to fall apart for them. Lisa could feel that Dan was pulling away. He stayed away from the house a lot. I would imagine it's probably because he didn't want to have to 
live it and face yeah. it because it's just such an unimaginable fear to be faced with is like and 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 to watch your child be so ill. So he spent a lot of time away. Lisa thought it was strange one night when he showed up to the hospital and he was all dressed up, like dressed up like for a night out on the town. So Lisa decided to follow him after he left the um, hospital. And when she followed him, he ended up going, um, she saw that he was going to a strip club called the Queen of Hearts. It was at this strip club where Dan met a 19-year-old dancer named Angel Brown. Okay. He was 12 years older than her, but she was this young, bubbly, beautiful 19-year-old. She was, you know, a shiny object and exciting and a distraction from all of the stresses at home, you know? So Dan began spending less and less time at home and more and more time at the strip club and or with Angel Brown. So... Angel was born in 1977, and she kind of had a rough upbringing. They said that she didn't really have a good relationship with her mother. She actually told Dan's mother, Colleen, who told Snapped, um, she told me that when she was little, her mother would get real mad at her often. So I guess... It was kind of a tumultuous upbringing, yeah. but even though she she had like a rough childhood, she was. They said that she was a real fighter. You know, like she was like just really wanted to get out of that town and make something of herself. So she actually trained to be a boxer. Oh, really? So yeah, interesting. So she really was a fighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, after a year of bad matches and like a losing record, she ended up giving up on boxing. So she kind of needed something to make ends meet. And that's kind of when she started becoming an an exotic dancer. So while she was um, working at the Queen of Hearts, which was in Ashtabula, Ohio, that's where she met Dan Posey, who at the time, you know, had three kids and was married. Dan and Lisa did end up getting a divorce in November of 1996. Uh And then just a few months later, Angel and Dan just like took off and moved to Vegas. They just moved to Vegas and they lived there for three years <sighs> and they never and just like disappeared. Man. But after a while, I know. We got kids. So <laughs> after a while, they ended up moving back to Ohio and then they got married in 2003. When they got married, Angel actually asked Dan if he would, um, like, as a sign of devotion, they said, to take her last name. So then he changed his name and he became um, Daniel Posey Brown. And then a year later, they ended up having a son. Once she became a mother, like she wasn't, she gave up exotic dancing and she became a stay-at-home mom. And everybody said that she was a really great mom. She actually joined the PTA, which is more than I can say for myself. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Uh, Every time I walk past somebody from that's in the PTA, I'm like, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm terrible. <laughs> You're the best. I love you. you last year when um, the teacher asked me if I'd be the room mom and room I asked mom. you and you were like, no, dude. And I was like, okay, good. I don't want to. It's like, why would you ask me? I'm not interested. <laughs> I know. I like, listen. All the PTA bombs, like, I love you so much, and I'm so sorry that you're you're better than me. You're better than better me. Better than me. You win. <laughs> you win. Um, but anyway, so they were wonderful parents, um, and they were very happy together, and everything was going really well for them as a family. But then that all changed when on the night of uh, November 18th, 2011, Dan was driving home on a rural state route 193, which is like a really long, dark highway. Um, He was actually on the way home with a present for his son Mm -hmm. because his son had just gotten an A on a test and he had bought him a present to congratulate him. And um, he called Angel and talked to her briefly while he was driving. And then he spoke to his son and then he got off the phone. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a runaway horse from a nearby event just ran into the road and hit his truck. What? I know. It, you know what's crazy is like this – I've heard of this happening before. This actually happened – this is off topic, kind of Jessica Simpson's book. Uh-huh. Um, it happened to her cousin. And, Where uh, a horse hit like the truck? A, yeah, and her cousin died suddenly when, it, like, it was just like from a nearby event, a horse just got loose. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. Isn't that's like crazy? one of my big fears, especially when we lived in West Virginia. Was 
because I would drive like from Pittsburgh back to Morgantown all the time. And it was like on this dark highway through the mountains. And there were always deer that would come out onto the highway. And I was like, I am going to hit a deer. Like it was just like, I would always be like white knuckling it till I got home. Yeah. (sighs) I know. It's like, I know. It's like, we were just talking about this the other day, like trees falling is a very big thing in Georgia. And, um, like whenever it's storming, everybody's scared of trees falling. Yeah. I'm sure like on these rural highways, horses, deer, they're real threats. Everybody stay home. <laughs> um, so, it's not safe anywhere. <laughs> so so the, the horse hit his truck and then his uh, truck drove off the side of the road and flipped over. And Dan at just 46 years old was killed instantly. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. And so then I know. Well, I told you it's a real threat. And so then and then also there was another driver that had swerved to miss the accident that was also killed in the wreck. Um, the horse who also passed away. And the horse um, it ended up that this horse I'm sorry. is that funny? <laughs> to an Amish community nearby and where it was supposed to have been tied up outside of an event that they were having, mm-hmm. but it somehow became loose and ran off. Let's get back to the real issue is that Dan just passed away, yeah. which is very sad. And so when the police went to Angel and Dan's house to break the news of his death, Angel and her their son, of course, were completely devastated. And then she called um, Dan's mother to let him know, and she was devastated as well, obviously, especially because they were so close. Everyone obviously was everyone in town was heartbroken and it was actually Angel even gave an interview to the Star Beacon where she uh, talked she went on record talking about her the her grief and the loss of her husband and she just talked about how much they loved each other mm-hmm. and you know how heartbroken she was and so what if what went, if the snapped was just about the horse it was the horse that snapped like, you're the worst <laughs> Sorry. you're sick <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> I'm back, baby. All right. COVID is really tough. <laughs> COVID Sally. has changed me. You're the first person I've talked to in like four weeks. <laughs> okay. Um. So weeks went by and everybody began to pick up the pieces and heal. Um, but then on January 11th, 2012, just two months later, a man named James Holly went into the Ashtabula County Sheriff's Office and um, told them that he had something to tell them. James Holly was a boxer and a trainer in Ashtabula. They already knew who he was. Yeah. It was, he was this guy. He went by the name of Hawk, actually, was his nickname. And he was he used to be a pro fighter and had a boxing gym, but he also had prior arrests and convictions. Mm-hmm. So the police already knew who he was. He he was actually convicted for arson several years prior to that. He was um, convicted for setting a fireworks factory on fire. What? Oh, I bet that I was know. amazing. So exciting. <laughs> I might do it too, right? <laughs> Just be like, what could happen? <laughs> yeah. But he served 15 years for that. But so he told the police that Angel Brown had offered him $4,000 to murder 
Lisa. At this time, her last name was now Luke. I I think she had gotten remarried. So um, he had given him $4,000 to murder Lisa, Lisa Luke. He said that he knew Angel back from the days when she was a dancer, and he had also trained her as a boxer. And so when he got out of prison, the two reconnected. At that point, they hadn't spoken for 15 years until... Uh, he got a call from her. Uh, she told him that she was having some problems with her husband's ex-wife and that the, there was an issue with the, his estate. And in order to remedy this situation, she wanted Lu- Lisa Luke gone. Oh. Um, yeah. So she paid him $4,000. And ap- right afterwards, he went and spent it all at a casino in Erie, Pennsylvania and gambled all of the money away. Um, he told the police that he, he actually had no intentions of ever carrying out the murder, but he was afraid he he's, was going to the police because he was afraid that she would hire somebody else. Mm. And so it was like the right thing to do to tell them. So as he was in the police office uh, in the station giving his information, he actually received a text message from Angel while he was sitting there and she actually told him like, never mind, I don't want you to do the murder anymore, but just keep a thousand dollars for your trouble. The police were worried that maybe there's a chance that she's just ending the, her relationship with James Holly, but maybe she's out there trying to find somebody else to kill, kill Lisa. So they definitely, you know, looked into yeah. it more. So they told James to call Angel back and tell her that he had spent the money so she wasn't getting it back, which is true because he did. Yeah. But anyway, um, so right there in the police station he, that he called her and he said, you want it done? It's done. I mean, you just have to let me know. Eventually, while they were talking and he was like, she was like, I don't know. I don't want it to come back on me, blah, blah, blah. But then eventually she said, you know what? Just go ahead and do it. So now what, when she said that, now they know that Angel Brown definitely does want Lisa Luke dead. Yeah. So they sent James Holly over to her house, like with a wire and a hidden camera. And a cop was actually in the car, but he was just slumped over so she couldn't see him. So right there on her front porch, James went up to her and there's all this footage of her just basically, she was just like, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get caught. And then she even patted him down like, you know, like, can I see, are you wearing a wire? And I guess she didn't see the wire, but she told him that she had just watched a crime show and was nervous about getting caught. Yeah. Because she was like, what if she was like, I just watched Snapped. I know. So meta. This isn't a dumb love. Yeah. a couple of times, James Holly asked her, like, are you sure? Are you sure? And every time she said yes. Yeah. So, and then he said to her, okay, at 10 o'clock tonight, this is going to be done. And she said, yep, all right. And then he left. And so the detectives also called Lisa Luke down to the station to talk to her because they, they needed to let her know that Angel had an order out to have her killed. Yeah. And, you know, she was obviously shocked and upset. Um And then they asked her, you know, do you know why Angel would want to have you killed? And Lisa said that she definitely had an idea. Because when Dan ran off with Angel, like, he basically gave up his relationship with his kids, you know? Like, he just stopped coming around. He took off to Vegas. Um, For a little while, he would call her. um, But then eventually the phone calls stopped, too. And then so did the child support. So he stopped paying child support. Um, and she would call to talk to Dan about the child support. and But Angel would always answer the phone and say, quote, you're not going to take one bite of food out of my child's mouth for your children. Wow. Which is so fucked up. Like children are children. Yeah. And if you love this man, you should love his children. Right? You know what I mean? Like it's not their fault that you, they, they're not together. I don't know. It just makes me sad. Yeah. Anyway, so he was over $30,000 behind in child support. So Angel actually used to call Lisa and harass her all, all the time, telling her to drop going after child support, yeah. which Lisa eventually did because she was scared of Angel. But then when years later when Dan died and he had a life insurance policy for $15,000 from his work, but then also another one for $240,000 that was taken out by Angel. Mm -hmm. Lisa thought, you know, this is probably a good time to finally, now that there's this big policy that my kids are his next of kin too. Right. This is a good time for them to be compensated for all their years of unpaid child support. So she went to look into it. That's when her lawyer saw that, Angel, as the executor of the state, when you you go to list who the next of kin are, she left all of Lisa's children (gasps) off of it. 
and she only put Angela and Dan's son as the next of kin. So she lied, basically. Yeah. So Lisa then hired an attorney to go after what was rightfully belonging to her kids. And when her attorney contacted Angel's attorney on January 9th, and told her that she was going to have to share the money. And there was also, there was one other thing. There was a $200,000 settlement that was paid to Angel from the people that owned the horse. Mm -hmm. And so on that very same day, January 9th, is the day that Angel contacted James. Oh my God. Yeah. So like that very day. So after James Holly went to her porch, told her he was going to do it, and he left, he called her one more time. It was recorded, obviously. And he told her that um, it was done, that he killed Lisa. And then he said, what do you want me to do with the body? And she said, just get rid of it. And so Angel was then arrested and brought down to the Ashtabula Police Department for questioning. And when they arrested her, she was like upset and screaming like she was going to take everything from me. Mm. Like very Scooby-Doo. You know? <laughs> and I wouldn't have gotten away with that too. If it wasn't for that and, darn horse. <laughs> I know. So when they, and then when they booked her, they actually found a receipt in her back pocket for a $20,000 withdrawal that was made on January 10th, the same day that she met James Holly and gave him the $4,000. So what, so, um, what was she doing with the rest of that money? Well, she had told him that she was going to give him $10,000. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so, but, yeah. yeah. So she told the police that after Dan died, you know, James became her support, like just a friend, and that these were just jokes, and she was venting to uh-huh. him about her frustrations. And then when they told her, like, you told – James told you that she's dead, you know, and they were like, she was like, I thought it was a joke. (laughs) And they were like, you patted him down for a wire. And she's like, jokes. (laughs) These are all jokes. And so they asked her about the $20,000 that she withdrew from the bank, um, which by the way, she kept saying it was $10,000, but they had the receipt and they knew that it was 20. But she said that she was just that she took out money to buy Christmas presents and to pay bills. And she maintained her innocence, um, but she did she did admit that she always hated Lisa Luke. She even said in, in the room, she said, why couldn't it have been her instead of my husband? But so she was arrested, but then she was also shortly let out on bail. And Lisa Luke was, of course, like, what the fuck? Because she was livid and terrified for her family. She had no security. Yeah. You're like, here's this woman that was trying to kill her, and now she's out on bail. Yeah. Um, But as, like, the police prepared for the trial, they, you know, gathered as much evidence as possible, which included this box that from the night that Angel was arrested, she always told her son that if anything ever happened to her, that he needed to make sure to grab this one specific box. So when the police, when Angel was arrested and the police told her son, like, you know, go in and take whatever you need, you know, because they were about to leave, um, he grabbed the box. But the, when the police saw the box, they looked inside, and not only were there drugs and drug paraphernalia, but there was a news article with Lisa Luke's picture on it, and written over her face was the word dead. <gasps> I know. It's like, how much more guilty yeah. could you be? And so Angel Brown was indicted on two counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder on January 19, 2012, and on... In August 2013, her trial started, but it only took two hours of deliberation for the jury to find Angel guilty on all counts. I mean, just so wildly guilty. So that October, she was sentenced to nine years in prison, but she will be released from prison this year at just 45 years old. Wow. And so her son grew up um, with her cousin, Linda, and he's doing very well, but he wants nothing to do with his mom. He said that like when she writes him letters and stuff, um, she actually, he actually writes to the jail and says, can you please make her stop writing me letters? And um, he's just kind of moved on with his life. And Lisa Luke is doing well also. And so is her children, but part of her has got to be concerned that she's, getting released already yeah isn't it crazy that james holly served 15 years for doing something awesome like lighting a firecracker (laughs) (laughs) it's not awesome it's dangerous it's a crime it's a crime but also a little awesome awesome. but she 
trying to have somebody murdered and she only served nine years. Yeah, it's it's just wild. It is wild because you're like, she had every intention just because they didn't go through with it. <laughs> I don't know. She had every intention of that woman being murdered or something so I dumb. I know. That's what the actually the judge said was just like, I can't believe you would do this when you had you had all the money to fight it in court. And if she's going to pay you know? this, she's going to pay this money. Like if she was only $30,000 behind on child support, it's just as like the cost benefit is really, it's, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I just, I know. It's, I don't know why, why do I try to make sense of these things, Jen? You never can. <laughs> I never can. Never I can. never can. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good one. That's a wild story. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sal. <laughs> Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay. I really need one. Okay. <laughs> I got my information from the Washington Post by Sydney Page, from the Chicago Sun-Times by Stefano Esposito, and from KGW.com by Catherine Cook. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in July 2021, Jeannie Gustafson flew home to Portland, Oregon after taking a trip to Chicago. Her neighbor and good friend, Tina Mattern, uh, saw Jeannie after a trip and asked how it was. And Tina had Tina had no idea why Jeannie had gone to Chicago, but she knew that Jeannie had grown up there, so she thought maybe she was visiting old friends or family. But she could have never expected what Jeannie told her about her trip. Tina told uh, KGW8 News, she said, she pulls out a bottle of Fireball whiskey and a box of Kleenex and says, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a love story. So here's what she told her. Jeannie mm-hmm. Gustafson met the love of her life in 1971 when she was 18 years old and a freshman at Loyola University. She was a German major, so naturally she decided to join the German club. And it was at that meeting that she met Stephen Watts, who was 6'4", he was a senior, and he was the president of the German club. Jeannie says he was a hunk. Stephen was like totally caught, like Jeannie caught his eye too. He says, from the moment I saw her, I fell head over heels. After that first meeting, they started staying late after meetings just to have a chance to talk to one another. And then they started Uh showing up early, too, just to spend time together. And before long, they were hanging out, just the two of them outside of the club. And Jeannie says, it became very apparent very quickly that we had feelings for one another. We were following in love. And neither of them had been in a serious relationship before. So this, like, you know, just the like wanting to be together all the time was all new for yeah. them. And um, and Jeannie said it was our first true love, each one of us. The only issue was Jeannie's family because Jeannie is white and Stephen is black and her family would not allow them to date. And it wasn't, <gasps> yeah, it wasn't that they had met Stephen and they didn't approve. It was that Jeannie knew that her mother and her grandmother, who she lived with at the time, were super racist. Like they, she said it was just known, like they wouldn't allow black people in their house unless they were there for work. So Jeannie and Stephen couldn't help but falling in love though. And they just kept it from her family. But Jeannie says like keeping, she hated keeping the secret. She was like, Stephen and I are so happy. I don't think I should have to hide that. And Stephen like really believed that if he could only meet her mother, that she might like him. So eventually, Jeannie decided that she was going to give her mother the chance to meet the man that she had fallen in love with. And so she planned a pool party for the whole German club at her mother's house um, in the suburbs of Chicago. But beforehand, she told her mother, she just like said, just so you know, the president of the club is black. And Jeannie says, well, she went ballistic. I didn't even say we were dating. So just the idea of a black man coming to their house, her mother was like, there's no way. Oh, my God. I know. So what year was this? 1971. Like, oh. yeah. But still, I mean, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, so after her mother's out- outburst, Jeannie eventually broke down and told her that she was dating Stephen, but her mother wouldn't budge. And at one point, her mom even stormed into the dean's office at Loyola and was like, I'm going to pull my daughter out of here because she was seeing a black man. And eventually, Jeannie and her mom came to kind of like a a truce, and she agreed that she would only see Stephen on campus, kind of like a don't ask, don't tell. She couldn't talk about him at home. She couldn't bring him home. But her mom kind of knew she was continuing to see her, but she couldn't tell anyone. So Jeannie said, there is a part of me that never forgave her. 
so the two actually dated for seven years um, in secret. And Stephen graduated from Loyola, and he went on to study linguistics in graduate school at Loyola's downtown campus. And Jeannie graduated from nursing school, and she got a job in the northern suburbs of Chicago. She says, I loved him, and we wanted to get married. We talked about it, and we talked about having a family. But eventually, it just all became too much, like the pressure of keeping their relationship under wraps from her family and their distance. Jeannie's job was like meant she was living and working in like the northern suburbs at night. And Stephen was on the opposite schedule and he was on the opposite side of the city in grad school. Also, I apologize because there are young children running around in my house. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, (laughs) um, So and they barely had time to see each other. So Jeannie realized that they just like they didn't have time for each other at that point in their lives. And so she just felt like she had to end the relationship. She said, I just broke down. I didn't see how we were going to able to spend enough time together to foster a relationship. So one day over the phone, she told him, I love you, Steve. I'm sorry, but I can't do this. Aww. And so they broke up and it, and, and Stephen was crushed. He said he believed that Jeannie was the one. He says, I was devastated. And she said, I regretted what I did right after I did it. It was almost immediate. I knew I shouldn't have ended the relationship the way I did. But at that point, I didn't know what else to do. So after the breakup, they both eventually moved on. Um, Stephen taught German in Chicago. And then he he actually moved to Germany to work as an interpreter for a while. And then then later, he moved back to Chicago. Both Jeannie and Stephen got married and then divorced. Neither of them ended up having children. In 1987, after her divorce, Jeannie moved to Oregon, actually with her mother. She worked as a nurse for 40 years and cared for her mother until her death in 2012. And Jeannie ended up retiring about three years ago. And all that time, through her marriage, through his marriage, Jeannie never forgot about Stephen. She says that he was her first and her true love. She said she always felt guilty about the way she ended things. She decided she wanted to make it right. So a few years ago, she started kind of casually searching for him. She said, I prayed he'd be married and be happy and have kids. He always wanted a family. And she didn't want to interfere in his life. She just kind of wanted to know how things had turned out for him. Um, and so she started with Facebook, of course, Like, but she had no luck. She scoured the internet for family records, phone numbers, addresses, and nothing. She couldn't find anything. She said everything came up a dead end. It was like he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So after seven months of searching, she was like, I think I'm – I think I can't find him. So she was like, I'm going to make one last ditch effort. She had an address and a name of a person who she was like, I think this might be like a niece, but she's like, I've never met her. I don't know her. I don't know if this is right. But she mailed her a letter. And in what Jeannie says is a miracle, the niece responded. um, But the news wasn't what Jeannie had hoped for. The niece told Jeannie that she actually hadn't seen Stephen in years, but that she knew he was living in a nursing home outside of Chicago. So at this point, Jeannie is 68, Stephen is 71, um, but the niece told Jeannie that 15 years ago, Stephen had had several strokes that had left him unable to care for himself, and he had had some infections and health health issues, and the infections had left led his left leg to be amputated. Aww. So Jeannie, who was a lifelong nurse, she wasn't deterred by whatever might have happened to Stephen physically. She actually said that the day that she found out where he was was one of the happiest days of her life. She said, at least I knew where he was. So she called the nursing home and they told her, yes, a man named Stephen Watts did live there, but that was all they could say. And so she decided to write him a letter, but he never replied. So she called the nursing home again and the staff said he couldn't take her call, but they wouldn't say why. And so Jeannie was like, I'm a nurse. Can you just at least tell me, like, is he like, is he responsive? Is he alert? Like, what is his status? And they said he is alert and he is oriented, which is basically like he He knows where he is. He knows who he is. Um, But that was all they would say. So Jeannie says, that is when I made the decision that I had to find a resolution and some kind of closure to all this. I was going to Chicago and I didn't tell anybody. So on June 28th of last year, she flew to Chicago and went straight to the nursing home. When she got there, one of the staff told her that she was Stephen's first visitor in 10 years. Oh, that breaks my heart. Doesn't it? That's like the saddest detail of this. Um, 
And she learned that he had actually been living in the nursing home since 2004. And Jeannie kind of said, she's like, I wasn't sure what to expect when I saw him. The nurse wheeled Stephen down to the waiting area, and Jeannie says he was in bad shape. I knew it was him, but it wasn't him. But then he looked at her, and in a whisper, he said her name, and then he said the nickname that he gave her all those years ago. She actually doesn't share it with any of the news outlets because she wants it to be personal to them, uh, what the nickname was. But then he said, I love you. And Jeannie says, in that instance... I knew he still loved me and I loved him and this was going to be forever. He grabbed my hand and would not let it go. The two of us cried for about an hour and a half. <gasps> oh my God. I uh, know. And Jeannie says he was still the wonderful man that I knew 50 years ago. He had withdrawn. There were little glimmers of his personality. At the core of it, we were still the same people. He's still wonderful. He's still funny. And Stephen said of Jeannie, said, she was so beautiful, I couldn't take my eyes off her. We knew we loved each other still. So she ended up spending six days in Chicago, and every minute she spent with Stephen, she said, I gave him my undivided attention. And she realized, like, after nearly two decades in a nur- in the, this nursing home, she said, a lot of Stephen's personality had disappeared within himself. But as I was there, little by little, he was starting to improve. So this was a story that Jeannie told her friend Tina in July when she got home from Chicago, but it's not the end of the story because, of course, after this experience of, like, refinding her first love and finding him in this horrible situation, she, like, couldn't get Stephen off her mind and she couldn't bear to think of him wasting away in a nursing home. And so she decided to tell her little brother, Tony, who actually never even knew she had dated Stephen for eight years. So... He didn't even know of him. So Tony, who is now 64, was amazed. He said, it was amazing that she was ecstatic to have found him and have him in her life again, even in a different capacity. This is the most important message here about love and relationships. The exterior fades, but what's what's important is what's on the inside. So Tony was fully supportive of his sister's finding Stephen and rekindling this relationship. He actually mailed Stephen a phone because Stephen didn't have a phone at the nursing home so that Stephen and Jeannie could talk regularly. So the two talked every day and Jeannie said it became more and more clear that Stephen had no quality of life in the nursing home and she couldn't bear it. Apparently he had like he lived with he had um, roommates that were just like awful and loud and it just was like no way to live, especially Not especially, but for anyone, but for someone who just has like who is completely um, mentally capable, just has physical disabilities. That means that he can't care for himself. So she couldn't bear it. She asked him, come back to live with me in Portland. And Stephen answered, I'll follow you anywhere. That's so sweet. Oh, that is so I know. Sweet. So she gathered the paperwork to allow her to become Stephen's legal caregiver. And with the help of her brother and with friends, she raised the money, which was like $14,000, to arrange a medical transport van to drive Stephen back to Portland. So she flew to Chicago and drove in the medical van with Stephen 36 hours home. And when they got to Jeannie's house, they found that her friends and neighbors were all waiting for them. They were like banging pots and yelling, and they had strung welcome home banners for them. And they brought over meals to welcome Stephen to the neighborhood. Um, It was just like a total difference from what he had experienced. Oh, good. And so the transition, they said, both of them were like, they said it was hard. Like they were both getting to know each other again. I mean, Stephen had been institutionalized after 10 years in a, or to almost 20 years in a nursing home with no visitors. But over time, they've both really adjusted and they are so happy. Tina, who is Jeannie's neighbor and friend, said she's seen such a change in Jeannie. She said she's gone from that st- sedate person we've always known to she bubbles, she giggles all the time. They are making up for lost time. She said, they're just precious together. The love is unfolding before our eyes, and it's so beautiful. And her brother says he's thrilled for her, too. He says she essentially – she has been essentially someone shortchanged her entire life. For her to experience this reunion is really phenomenal. He clearly is not the man he was 42 years ago, but inside he is the same human being, and she loves him for who he is on the inside, not for the man he's become on the outside. 
And after spending nearly two months together, Jeannie said, Steve is flourishing. He's improving leaps and bounds. He's not the same man I saw two months ago. And Steven says, she saved my life. If this is not heaven, it's pretty close to it. And Jeannie says that she is happier than I've ever been. It is the best decision that both of that both of us have made. She said, he ma- makes me feel like I'm 18 again. He's tender and loving and we make each other laugh. I can't explain it. I just love the man. Aww. And Steven says that he had thought about Jeannie every day for the last 42 years. And now that they're back together, he says, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And then some. Isn't that That's great? Good one. <laughs> Isn't- I love it. I can't wait to see pictures. They're very cute, and they were so cute back in the day, and they're so cute now. And I just, um, I just love that, like, they found each other again, and that they were able to like just change his change his life, and that he changed her life. Like, it's not just a one way thing, you know. Like, she is happier yeah. than she's ever been, and he's happier than he's ever been. It's just. Uh, it's just really beautiful. That's so great. I love that story. Yeah. Good one. Thanks, man. Good one. Um, should we get into something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So I guess now that the holidays are over, we can start saying things are dumb again. Because <laughs> I got something real dumb. Oh, what do you got? <laughs> um, it is uh, Omicron. Oh, yeah. I got that too. <laughs> uh, no, it's dumb because our kids' schools, we're, Sally and I are, the reason you hear kids in the background is because there's no school. Yeah. They're learning virtually. Um, and so uh, hopefully they go back to school soon. But it's just, I'm just tired of this. I'm, everybody is. I know we're so tired. Yeah. Um, Sally, you just had it, so I you should be the one complaining, not me. Oh, I will. Um, okay, good. <laughs> and then, um, uh, but the uh, something I love, I just it's kind of dumb. I don't really have anything except for um, there's just some like really great movies that I've seen recently. Yeah, and um, I just want to. Just shout them out. Um, okay, first of all, I mean, there's just been a lot of really great. Like, I feel like all of these, all my favorite directors, like. During COVID, we're like, fuck it, let's make a movie. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. It was so good. Was it? Oh, I have not watched oh, it. Oh, I loved every second of it. I definitely recommend that. Um, the new uh, Guillermo del Toro movie is really good, too. Nightmare Alley. That's good. Not as good as Licorice Pizza, but still very good. Yeah. Um, I loved French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. Um, there's just a lot of really great movies out there. So like if you're in a place where you could go to a movie theater safely go, um, or if like, I'm sure it'll be out like French dispatch, you can rent on Amazon. Also, there's a really great movie on Netflix called the hand of God. That is, um, an Italian film Mm -hmm. that just came out. That was really amazing too. So a lot of good cinema out there for your for your eyes to watch. Good Rex. <laughs> good <laughs> Rex. Um, I feel what like your those you? are very like fancy movies. Like you, you, uh, your TV lowbrow, your movie watching highbrow. <laughs> That's how we do it. It's all about balance, baby. Um, so I think, yeah, my dumb thing is the same as yours. It's uh, everyone I know has COVID uh, or is getting COVID, and uh, it just sucks to be back in this place where you're like what can I do safely? I thought we had this figured out and feel to feel back at square run one is, is really hard. Um, and, uh, but we're not back at square one because we're all vaccinated. So that's really great. And if you're not go do that, um, I would, I would really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. And, and just, uh, virtual schooling is a real shit show, but I also have some things that I've watched and, uh, a book that I read that I want to really recommend. So, have you watched Station Eleven? No. So good. So so amazing. Highly recommend. Wait, what is it about again? Tell me. Um, well, it is I don't want to give anything away. I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna give it away. <laughs> just watch okay. it. Just watch it. It's great. Okay. I thought it had something to do with the pandemic. Well, and I was just like, no, thanks. The first episode is is heartbreaking in that way, but it but the rest of it is not. Okay, got okay. it. Okay. I think it's okay. worth it. I think it's worth watching. I was like, when oh, Ben right. when we, Ben turned it on, I was like, what the fuck are you doing to me? I was so mad. 
I was like, seriously, you're going to make me watch this? <laughs> and he was like, it's supposed to be so good. And it is. Okay. Um, good to know. Good to oh, know. Sorry. And then uh, Lighter Fair Tick Tick Boom. Did you watch that? Oh, I did watch Tick Tick Boom. Did you like I it? I thought that was really yeah, good. I did. I, it was great. Yeah. It made me really happy. Uh, and then I read a book called Memorial, which I recommend um, just kind of like a, you know, slice of life kind of book. But I really, I really enjoyed it. Good for you for reading. With my eyes. I read it with my eyes. Yes. Yes. Good for you. I read a book with my eyes too. I know. You inspired me. I'm not done with it yet. I'm not done yet. But I've already read this book like 10 times. Yeah. So so that's what I love. So uh, you guys, thank you so much um, for listening. You guys are awesome. I hope you had a wonderful break. I hope you are um, finding some joy in your lives. Uh, Let us know what you've been watching and listening to and reading with your eyes or your ears. Um, And hit us up. You can find us on our socials. Um, we're at dumb love podcast. You can find us on Gmail. Get us, send us an email, dumblovepod at gmail.com. Please rate and review. Please tell a friend. We'd really love that. Yes. And, uh, don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dumb, 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 dumb